What's up, friends and fam? Welcome back to Not Your Normal Horror. I'm Kim. And I'm Jay. And we're Not Your Normal Horror. That we hey, are. Hey, hey, Um What a crappy, miserable day today. Well, evening. Oh, the day yeah, was evening. fine. Uh, it was a little stuffy, but... Uh, now it's thunderstorming, which I love. Although, it's kind of gone away, which I hate, so... Um... Sorry, this is a day late, but I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot about doing a podcast <laughs> last night. You're bad. It was. We were just chilling, watching Rhett and Link on YouTube. and Yeah, we were. Then it was time for bed. <laughs> I forgot we were watching Rhett and Link. I forgot all about podcasts, so that's what we, this is where we are. It's just a day late. At least it's not three weeks later. This is true. So, uh, tonight we're going to... Finally get into Israel Keys. Israel Keys. Mm-hmm. I think sounds familiar. He's a scum piece of shit. And we're going to talk about him. Okay. And then we're going to burn this, my notes, because it's maybe that's what's been bothering me. Also, I told you the other day, I saw a video that said, like, if these signs are feeling a little out of sorts... Because Mercury's in retrograde and that ends on the third, which is tomorrow. And it was my one of my one of the signs was mine. So that's why I, th- I think I, every, I've been a little like off kilter for a little Maybe. while. Plus having this in my nightstand for over a month now also has waiting to burn. Waiting to burn. Waiting to burn. So that's what we do with all of these these nasty nasty people the notes we burn them we burn them so they're gone so let's just jump on in there we go let's take a dive shall we israel keys was born january 7th 1978 in cove utah he was the second of 10 children sheesh born to heidi and john keys who were strict mormons Keyes' parents didn't believe in government interference, public public schools, or modern medicine. All ten kids were born at home with no medical assistance and were later homeschooled. Wow. I feel like that's not safe. Childbirth is one of the most dangerous things in the world. Oh, yeah. So she was lucky she successfully made it through ten of them and everybody lived. With no medical assistance. With no I mean, medical it doesn't assistance. matter where you have a baby, but... Yeah, I mean, I could, you know... You can have a baby in a hospital and something could go wrong and somebody dies. It's just one of the most dangerous things we women do. Uh, the family chose to live off-grid without any modern technology, including electricity and running water. Sounds fun. Not so much. The family mainly kept to themselves. I guess <coughs> so. They probably stank. Nobody wanted to be around stanky right. people. If we stink, nobody will come near us. Oh. Great idea, although I couldn't handle it. Uh, When Keyes was three or four years old, his family moved from Utah to Washington State, where they left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints before becoming radical Christians and joining a Christian identity church that that practiced white supremacy. Because, of course. Wow. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Keyes family were faithful parishioners Parishioners? Is that right? Parishioners? Parishioners. Mm -hmm. It looks different than the way I'm saying it. Of a Christian church called The Ark, whose minister, Dan Henry, 
preached about white supremacy and anti-Semitism. Semitism? Is that right? Semitism. Why am I having issues tonight? I, don't I know. can read. I promise y'all. The filter is over. Tomorrow. Today's only oh, the second, so it's over there tomorrow. You go. <clears throat> I'll be back on kilter tomorrow. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. The Keys family were also known associates of the Kehoe family, whose sons Chevy and Chain were members of the Aryan People's Republic and served time in prison for hate crime attacks and murders. Spoiler alert, I have this family on my list of podcasts to cover, but I, with so much hate and nasty and gross and sad things going around in the world right now, I can't put myself in the headspace to want to look into these people and talk about them. So, Save it for another rainy day. It's probably going to be a while. We'll see. It's definitely not going to be anytime soon, though. In the late 90s, the family moved from Washington to Maupin, Oregon, before moving across the country, settling close to an Amish community in Maine. Keyes' psychopathy, there we go, started showing up as a child. He broke into neighbors' houses, stole guns, and tortured animals. Again, because of course he did. He eventually told his family he no longer shared in their religious beliefs, and his father cut him out of the family, but he did remain close to his mother, Heidi. In 1998, he joined the Army. Other than a DUI while in the Army, he had no reprimands and was honorably discharged in July 2001. While in the Army, he met a woman who lived in the Macaw Reservation, I'm sorry, lived on the Macaw Reservation in Washington. The two had a daughter together in 2001. They lived together on the reservation for seven years. Once they broke up, Keyes moved to Anchorage with his daughter and his new girlfriend. One of his co-workers is quoted as saying he would come into work and brag about his daughter. He was a loving dad, a doting father. As a murderer, Keyes did not have a set victim type. He was more of a killer. He was more a killer of opportunity. He'd find his victims in parks, cemeteries, or campgrounds. Quote, not as much to choose from in a manner of speaking, but there's also no witness, really. There's no one else around. End quote. Keys confessed to law enforcement. He killed people all over the country at random. He also had murder kits stashed around the country. That's crazy. And he would, I mean, everywhere, and he would remember where they were. And it was like he would leave them there for years and he would know exactly where they were. He would keep guns, ammos, am, ammos, ammo, zip ties, silencers, and chemicals to dispose of the bodies in his murder kits. When he found someone to kill, he would dig up one of his murder kits. While traveling the country, he would pay in cash and also remove the battery from his cell phone to lessen his chances of getting caught. He only had one rule when it came to killing. He would never target or kill children or anyone who had children because he himself had a daughter. His first confirmed kill was a couple in Vermont named Bill and Lorraine Courier. Their bodies were never found. It is believed that he broke into their home using tools from one of his murder kits. He walked to their house from his nearby hotel a little after midnight. He cut their phone line, but there was no alarm system. He saw an above-ground pool in the backyard, but no toys or floaties, meaning no children. He also saw no signs of pets. He then entered through the garage and made his way to their kitchen. 
He made his way into their bedroom where Bill, 50, and Lorraine, 55, were sleeping. The couple woke up to a man dressed in all black, holding a gun. He tied them up with zip ties and asked them about the details of their home, including where they had a safe, where they kept their ATM cards, and if they had any guns. He demanded their PIN numbers and scratched them into the cards. Lorraine had a handgun she kept for protection, which Keys took. He also took their cell phones. He grabbed two suitcases and began filling them with clothes and personal effects, and then forced them into their own vehicle, and then drove them to an abandoned house he had scouted earlier. The couriers begged for their lives, told Keys that Bill needed his medicine, that they had no money, and he could take their car and whatever money they did have, and they wouldn't tell a soul. Keyes told them this was just a kidnapping for ransom and that he was taking them to a drop house. Once there, someone else would be taking over. Quote, you'll be fine, end quote, he told them. They arrived at the abandoned house around four in the morning, and once they got there, he tied Bill to a stool in the basement and left Lorraine in the car. When he went back for Lorraine, he saw she had escaped the front seat of the car and was running down the main road. He tackled her and dragged her into a bedroom of the, of the home, securing her arms and legs to the bed with the duct tape he had brought with him. He then, um, sorry, he then wrapped a rope around her neck and under the mattress, tying it in a compound knot, which I had to look up because I didn't know what a compound knot was. It's a knot commonly used for securing loads on trucks or trailers. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I can't explain it, but See, I, wasn't a boy I, scout, learned, so. I learned it in the scouts. Mm -hmm. Compound knot, square knot. Yeah, I don't. Slip knot. Yeah, I wasn't in Boy Scouts, obviously, so I don't know any about, anything about knots. Um, okay, Bill started shouting in the basement, where's my wife? Where's my wife? And when Keyes went down to check on him, he had partially freed himself. Keyes later said during his confession, that pissed, quote, that pissed me off because there's a specific way I want things done and I have a whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. Because Bill had altered his plans, Keyes lost control and struck him with the shovel he found in the house. Bill didn't go down, so Keyes hit him again, which knocked him to the floor. Keyes ran upstairs to check on a, pro a propane stove he had set up earlier, and when he came back down, Bill was back on his feet. He started firing his gun. He shot Bill's arms, head, neck, and chest. Bill finally went down dead. It took a lot, man. It like did. he was trying. Sounds he like a was lot. trying. After killing Bill, Keys returned to the room where he had Lorraine tied up. He cut off her clothes with a knife and raped her twice. During the sexual assault, he had strangled Lorraine to the point where she lost consciousness. He then took her to the basement to see her husband's bloody corpse. Then he sat her on a bench, strangled her from behind with a rope, killing her. He then doused their bodies in Drano to speed up human composition, decomposition, put each of their bodies in a 55-gallon trash bag, and rolled them to the southeast corner of the basement. He then covered their bodies with wood and garbage. He was rushing around so much, he actually left his shell casings on the basement floor. He had planned to burn the house down with the bodies inside, but it was too late for that. People were driving along Route 15 on their way to work. He decided that whoever bought the house would be doing so just for the property, so they would take down the house anyway. And he knew that the smell of the rotting corpses would keep potential buyers away, or they would just think an animal had wandered in and died. He grabbed most of his stuff, 
took the courier's car to his waiting rental car, which was all out, out of sight of the surveillance cameras in the Rite Aid parking lot, and drove his car away out of state, heading to Maine. The courier's bodies were never found because the house was in fact torn down and their bodies were unknowingly excavated and dumped in the local landfill. If Keyes hadn't confessed, nobody would have ever known what happened to the couriers for all intents and purposes, who for all intents and purposes vanished into thin air. That's so crazy. like he lucked out, but then once he was caught for something else, he told them, thankfully, so their family could, you know, have some closure. Crazy. And he's smart. That is the worst. Yeah. Like he's fucking the smart. smart. Criminal is the worst criminal. God. <clears throat> the only other known victim of keys was Samantha Koenig. She was the barista at the Common Grounds coffee stand in Alaska. Keys had chosen this place because of its location and the fact that it was open later than other coffee stands he had scouted. He had never seen <clears throat> or met Samantha before this night. He walked up to the stand wearing a ski mask and asked for a coffee. Samantha made his coffee and handed it to him. He then pulled out a gun and demanded money. Samantha complied, hoping that that would be the end of it. Instead, Keyes forced himself inside the stand and tied her hands together with zip ties. He asked her where her car was, and she told him she didn't have one. So he forcefully walked her outside of the stand towards Tudor Lane. Sorry, Tudor Road. I don't know why I said lane. <sighs> Fucking mer Mercury. She did fight him and got away at one point, but much like with Lorraine, Keyes caught up and tackled her to the ground. He put one arm around her while pointing a gun at her body with the other hand. She kind of likes tackling people, doesn't he? Yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do, I guess. He told her that she needed to cooperate because the gun was silenced and he would shoot her. He told her not to do anything to make him kill her. They crossed Tudor Road into the parking lot between IHOP and the Dairy Queen, where Keyes had parked his white truck. Keyes had already prepared this truck for an abduction by removing the license plate and taking off the mounted toolbox from the bed of the truck. He then bound Samantha in the truck and drove away. He drove around town, telling Samantha that this was just a kidnapping for ransom. She told him that her family did not have a lot of money and that he probably wouldn't get the ransom he was seeking. Keyes told her that her family would likely raise the money needed for the ransom. This fucker had an answer for everything. Like, everything. So Damn keys. He convinced Samantha that if she just cooperated with everything he said, she would be safely returned to her family. Sometime during the drive, Keys realized that Samantha did not have her cell phone, which was an important part of his plan to demand the ransom money by sending text messages from her phone. He drove back to the coffee stand, got her phone, and drove to another part of town where she used her phone where he used her phone to send two text messages. The first message went to Samantha's boyfriend, <clears throat> and the second went to the owner of the Common Grounds coffee stand. In the messages, Keyes made it seem like Samantha was just having a bad day and was going to take off and leave town for the weekend. He then removed the battery from her phone. Keyes asked Samantha for her debit card, and she told him that she shared an account with her boyfriend, and the debit card was in the truck that they shared. She told him where her house was and gave him the PIN number for the card. Keys then put her in a shed in front of his house, bound her, and turned up the radio in the shed so that nobody could hear her scream. He also told her that he had a police scanner and would know if she tried to alert the neighbors. He then drove to her house and got the card from the truck. 
While he was there, Samantha's boyfriend confronted him, yelling at him before going back in the house for help. Keyes ran back to his truck and got the fuck out of there before he could be caught by the boyfriend. He then went to the ATM and tried the card, making sure Samantha hadn't lied to him. She didn't. She gave him the, the right number. Finally, he returned home. He went to the shed and sexually assaulted Samantha, then asphyxiated her. He then left her in the shed and went back to his house to continue packing for a cruise. He left that morning, February 2nd, for his cruise. He returned to Anchorage on February 17th and began preparing a ransom note. So he's done, raped her, killed her, left for a cruise, came back 15 days later, and decides he's going to write his ransom note to get the money for her. And she's dead in his shed for two weeks. It demanded that money be placed in the account connected to the ATM card. He then went into the shed and got Samantha's body, taking steps to make sure it looked like she was still alive. He used a Polaroid camera to take a photo of her with her eyes sewn open. Jesus Christ. While he held the Anchorage Daily newspaper from February 13th to make it look like she was still alive. He photocopied the Polaroid and used a manual typewriter to demand $30,000 on the back of the picture. After the photo and note were done, he went to Connor's dog park and placed the photo slash note under a memorial flyer for, the do- for a dog named Albert. Then he texted Samantha's boyfriend from her phone, telling him that the ransom note was under Albert in Connor's dog park. The Anchorage Police Police Department recovered the note. Keyes then spent the following days dismembering her body before driving out to Matanuska Lake, where he cut a hole in the ice and put her body in the lake. Meanwhile, Samantha's father, James Koenig, deposited the ransom money as told, into the account connected to Samantha's ATM card. The money was donated by members of the community, which is exactly what he told Samantha would happen. Israel told Samantha, if your family doesn't have it, they'll raise the money. That's what they did. Like, he fucking knows everything. The plan was to catch the kidnapper by tracking any withdrawals made. Withdrawals were made in Anchorage, then in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Using surveillance cameras nearby, police were able to determine that the kidnapper was driving a white Ford Focus. Keyes was eventually pulled over driving the white Ford Focus in Lufkin, Texas, and while searching the car, Samantha's cell phone and ATM card were found. He was then extradited to Alaska, where he confessed to the murders and began telling authorities about all of his other crimes. During his confession, he spoke of killing less than a dozen, but only three of his victims have been definitively identified. He claimed to have killed more people, but he would never give their names or any details. He, he claimed to kill four people in Washington state, a couple sometime between 2001 and 2005, two separate victims in 2005 and 2006, and also in 2009, he claimed to kill a person on the East Coast, leaving their body in New York. The FBI is relatively confident, air quotes, this victim was Deborah Feldman. She was a New Jersey resident who went missing in 2009. Another possible victim tied to Keys was a girl named Julie Harris, who disappeared in Colville in 1996. Her prosthetic feet were found a month after she went missing, and her remains were found in 1997. Keys was in the area when she went missing, but has denied any involvement in her murder. 
It's also possible that two of his unnamed Washington State victims were 56-year-old Mary Cooper and her 27-year-old daughter, Susan Stodden, who were shot and killed while hiking in Washington in 2006. So again, he's only been three victims, the Couriers and Samantha, but he could have several more. He just wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't confirm. Sure he has a lot more. I'm sure he does. Motherfucker had murder kits all over the country. While in custody, while in custody, Keyes was happy to share details of his crimes with investigators, but he also seemed to enjoy keeping information from them as well. He just needed power. He also expressed interest in a quick execution date. He did not want to live behind bars for years, waiting to die. He also didn't want his mother or daughter to have to suffer because of his crimes. He committed suicide in his cell on December 1st, 2012. He had been given a razor blade despite being warned not to. And he slit his wrist and also strangled himself with a bed sheet while laying in bed. What a coward. Also, who gave him a fucking razor blade? Mom, what did they do? He doesn't deserve to be alive. <clears throat> his last interrogation happened just a few days before his suicide. He had expressed his desire to prevent his daughter from suffering because of his actions. Quote, I want my kid to have a chance to grow up. You know, she's in a safe place now. She's not going to see any of this. I want her to have the chance to grow up and not have all this hanging over her head. His funeral was attended by his mother, four sisters, and three brother-in-laws, and nobody else. That's good. He doesn't deserve anybody at his funeral. And I could not find any information on his daughter, so I think that's actually a good... Like, I wanted to see, you know, how if she's been okay mm-hmm. like growing up knowing that that's your dad but i couldn't find like straight up information about her but i think that's actually a good thing because what he said he didn't want her to be not that i want him to get his way but i also don't want everyone the child of any murderer oh, yeah. to have to live with that exactly. so maybe she has been able to avoid it somehow be incognito yeah i mean live that, her own life that would be good but i'm sure it'll come out eventually yeah. so that was Israel Keys. That was a short one, a piece I know. Of shit. Yeah. Trash bag. Yep. <clears throat> so I apologize that was a short one, but um it is what it is. Yeah. I didn't want to go too too much into him like I normally do because <clears throat> like I said, there's just it's so bad right now around the world, around the country that I don't want to talk too much about these fuckers. So I'm gonna try to find a light subject. For next week's episode. Okay. Something similar to last week, I guess, with the Let's Not Meet stories uh, from Reddit. Yeah. Um, I haven't quite figured out what yet. I think it might just be some haunting stuff, like haunted Ooh. locations around the world. But then I'm also thinking about audio recordings because um, our number one episode, like our highest downloaded episode by several hundred downloads is the disturbing 911 calls yeah. we did. That was fun. I mean, every single week I get an update from one of the um, the podcast companies that puts it out there or whatever. And every single week, that, that episode is still getting downloaded. Like 50, 60 downloads. People like it. So I was thinking about doing more of those. That's not really lighthearted. Or, yeah, but they're fun. They are somewhat fun. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it'll it'll either be an audio recordings, 
podcast mm-hmm. or it'll be about some ghosts. So it definitely won't be murder because I don't want to talk about murder right now. So True. that's what it'll be. And it'll be. I cannot wait. It'll be Wednesday. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> I don't forget. I'm going to set a reminder in my phone. Do podcast. On Wednesday. On Wednesday. That's a special day. 6.30. Hopefully. So, yeah. We'll catch you then. We will. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Oh, new thing I've been meaning to tell our listeners. What's that? If you guys are listening on Apple Podcast, it would greatly, greatly, greatly help us get noticed more. If you could do um, ratings and reviews on the podcast. I forgot you could do that. Yes, you can. So there's a couple on there, like a couple ratings, no reviews. But like I said, it would be very, very helpful for everybody to, if you don't review it, not everybody wants to write. But I mean, if you could at least rate it, that would be, I'd be extremely grateful. And so would Jay. And we would just love you all so very, very much. Okay, that's all I got. So until next time, bye. Bye.